session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page, on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Before I begin the show, just wanted to make another announcement for the cruise I'll be doing with commercial travel this coming March, March 9th through the 12th, going to Ensenada. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Anyone who's been on any of the cruises we've done before, know that they are a lot of fun and uh, this time it's going to be all in English so I'm going to be doing several seminars and question and answer programs um, on the ship but we'll also have some other professionals on board to share their expertise and knowledge and some entertainment uh, so it should be a lot of fun I really hope you'll join us March 9th through the 12th um, and you can contact commercial travel to book your cabin or to get more information and their numbers are 800 800 1991 or 818-883-8100. So again, that's for this coming March, March 9th through the 12th, going to Ensenada, leaving from Long Beach. Hope you'll join us for that cruise. I also wanted to announce the book of the week for this week, uh, which I mentioned Monday. It's a first-rate madness, uncovering the links between leadership and mental illness by Nasir Ghaemi. A first-rate madness and essentially what it's talking about is how a lot of very successful leaders throughout history have had mental illness and it's not that they've been successful despite their mental illness but actually their mental illness may have contributed partially to their success very interestingly and um, I'm about maybe I don't know a fourth of the way in and it is quite interesting to see he gets in depth to several different leaders like Winston Churchill Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., and seeing how they maybe had mental illness and it maybe contributed to their success as leaders in the ways that they led. So looking forward to finishing that book and talking about it on Monday's show next week. But I wanted to start the show talking about the way we interact with one another on a very basic level. Uh, on Monday's show, I talked about the book Nonsense by Jamie Holmes, and in that book, uh, one of the things that was brought up was this idea that one of the reasons why we stereotype is because we want to have certainty. We don't want to deal with ambiguity. Rather than saying, I don't know exactly who this person is or I don't know much about them, we want to say, because he or she is this, I know this about them and I'm going to put them in this box. And now I know who they are and what they are. Rather than recognizing that each person is much more complex than that. We don't know anyone until we get to know them. And even that process takes time and we fully will never know them. But we'd rather assume we know. We even do the same thing with our partners. Uh, I've talked about this idea before that we sometimes trade security or stability for excitement or passion. 
So we tell ourselves, I know my partner completely. I know who she is. I know who he is. And in this way, we make our relationship boring because we'd rather be bored than recognize we actually don't fully know that person and to live with that anxiety of that ambiguity. So it's a lot easier for us to do that than to actually recognize and interact with each individual to see who they are. And this extends in every interaction that we have. We tend to experience one another based on certain roles or certain aspects that we make important. So you go see a doctor and they are the expert and you are the one who knows nothing. Or as a parent, you think I'm the all-knowing and I have to know what's happening and be the smart one and my child has to look up to me and respect me and treat me in a certain way. But this gets us into a lot of trouble. So the point I'm trying to make is that rather than interacting with one another with these labels, with these categories, with these roles, we'd be better off if we interact with one another as two human beings, as essentially two equals, who, yes, might be in different positions and roles based on what's going on in that certain situation or that relationship, but at the end of the day, we still are human beings. And particularly, I see this when it comes to parents, and then also with kids as they become older. But parents tend to think, based on lots of principles and philosophies of parenting, that somehow they are the authority, and because they are the authority, their kids have to listen to them and respect them and do what they say and basically be what they want them to be because somehow they know better. But you're much better off looking at your child as a whole human being. And yes, as their parent, you are responsible to take care of them and to raise them and to provide for them. That was the choice you made in having them. But they don't owe you anything in return. And you definitely don't own them. You owe them. You're supposed to give to them and give to them as much as you can. But they don't belong to you, which is a way that many people um, tend to think of their kids, that somehow they are their possession. And because of that, they have the right to do what they want or say what they want to them. And their children are supposed to listen to them. But if we can approach our kids in this way, that yes, I am your parent, but you are a whole human being. Uh, when I had Dr. Jennifer Galvin on the show, we were talking about introverted and extroverted children and, and how we might have this bias towards having our kids be a particular way. And we think there's a right way of being. But what we want to promote or what we want to get our kids to see is that they're not supposed to be a certain way. They're not supposed to be this or that. They don't have to be extroverted or gregarious or act in a particular way. What we want them to do is to be the best version of themselves, to bring out who they are, to be their best version of whatever it is they are, their potential, their qualities, uh, if they're introverted or extroverted, if they like art or if they like this or whatever it is that they like, bring out the best version of them. And we can only do that when we recognize that they are a complete human being, maybe in a smaller form, but they are a complete human being who deserves to be treated that way. So even with your children, although you are the parent and you're supposed to have more responsibility and you have to fit that responsibility or fulfill that responsibility, you shouldn't look at your kids as somehow less than you or different from you in that way. This is just the position you are in as their parent. Now, as I was saying, this also transitions when children become adults. Now, of course, as a child, you always have certain expectations and wants and desires of things you want to receive from your parents. 
That makes sense. A child wants to be loved. They want to feel accepted. They want to feel cherished and valued and feel that their parent loves them and really cares about them above and beyond everything else and that they feel that love unconditionally. But as you get older, sometimes children, when they become adults, they start to realize that they still are holding on to that feeling of wanting them to give them something they never gave them. Give me that love I never got. Give me that approval you never gave me. Make me feel special. And they sometimes keep hitting their head against the same wall. And so what it can be important for an adult to do when they think about their own parents is to think, okay, well, now that I'm an adult, I'm also equal to them. I'm no longer just a child to them, a little kid. Yes, that's my mother, that's my father, and there is a particular role we play with each other, but maybe I can see them as equal to me. And in this way, what we can actually recognize is, yes, we wanted something from our parents, but our parents were once children too. And they had shortcomings in what they received in their childhood and in who they were and who they are. And they're just trying their best, or they tried their best as parents to raise you in the way that they thought would be the best way that was the best for you. And they didn't have a bad intention, or even if they did, that came from some weakness. They were trying their best to be who they were. And even actually as an adult, you can picture your father or your mother as a child and what they went through and how that created the personality and the characteristics that they have. And that's the person that you have today. So you can recognize that you aren't little anymore. Yes, you're always their child, but you're not small. You can recognize them as a full adult and see yourself as equal to them. And there actually should be a shift in your relationship as you get older. Yes, there can always be that feeling that that's the mother and that's the father, and there could be some things that, that won't change in that role. But the feelings can change. Now you're no longer dependent on them. You no longer need them. That's a big part of parents being able to love their kids in a way where they show them they don't need them so they can go away from them. But as an adult child, you can recognize my parents do have their weaknesses. And if I, for the rest of my life, hope to get something from them that they are unable to provide, I'm going to forever be disappointed and forever be angry at them. And so a big way to forgive our parents, well, first of all, as I always talk about, if parents can say, I'm sorry to their kids, that's a wonderful thing to do and a great gift that they can provide them. But even if they don't, as a child who's now an adult, you can recognize that I can forgive them by recognizing that what they did came from their weakness. That maybe although I want them to do something or I want them to give me something, they might not be able to give that. And it would be better off for me to accept that than to always hope that they're going to give me something they can't provide. This doesn't mean I ignore the pain or the wounds that were created by their shortcomings, but that I recognize I can forgive them, mostly for myself, but really even for our relationship, I can forgive them for what's happened and try to move on. We sometimes have to give ourselves what our parents never gave us. And really for all of us, that's going to be the case because there's no perfect, perfect parents and there's no perfect parenting. There's always going to be something that's missing and something that we have to then pick up the slack and figure out as we get older and maneuver through life in a way where we maybe get those needs met in other ways or we come to reconcile what has been missing. But what I think is important to note and why I wanted to bring up this topic is that in our overall interactions, when you meet someone new, 
the better we can suspend our judgment of saying we know who they are, especially based on stereotypes and prejudices that we might have, the more human-to-human relationships and contacts you can have. Allow each person to be who they are rather than going to our natural state of wanting to know before we know. As I mentioned uh, discussing the book Monday, The Art of Not Knowing Nonsense, we actually want to know, and there's parts basically of our brain or the way our brain works is to resolve any discrepancies or any places where ambiguity exists. If I don't know yet, I want to know, and I need to know now. That's the feeling we can have. But if we can sit with that anxiety of not knowing, then I can actually see you for who you are and allow you to show yourself to me over time and experience one another for who we are and not be afraid to actually not know, which is something that most of us are very afraid of. So if you think about yourself and your relationship to anyone, but especially with your kids, if you're a parent, think about how much you see them as your children and because of that, just a child, but not actually as a full human being who is worthy of everything, uh, respect, appreciation, validation, but also freedom to be who they are and what they are and what they want to be. It's not up to you to tell them who to be, but rather to see them for what they are and help to bring that out. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talakwi. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes, hi, you're on the air. Hi, um, thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Um, I'm calling about my 14-year-old son. Okay. And um, I wanted to get some advice and you know, as to um, you know some of the things that's been going on with him and what I should do to help him. So um, he uh, he's been diagnosed with ADHD, mm-hmm. and as well as uh, a learning disability, uh, which has to do with auditory processing delay. So uh, it's hard for him to grasp, uh, especially at school. You know, if the teacher, uh, you know, has like a three-step uh, 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 instruction, he gets the first part but not the others, mm-hmm. and, and so he falls behind. And um, <clears throat> and um, he also has been diagnosed with uh, anxiety, so he has a lot of fear and worries, and um, he can't sleep at night a lot of times, um, you know. Um, and then he's also very impulsive, and um, so I, I, I've taken him, um, you know, he's, He's under the care of a psychiatrist. We've tried different medications, which none of them really worked 100%. They, they helped with some symptoms, but they created others. So we've been having, um, you know, some difficulty with that. <clears throat> and um, so I, 
I wanted to call and, um, you know, uh, talk to you and ask you uh, what are some of the things that maybe I'm not doing or some things that you can help me uh, understand better okay. um, and so forth. Sure, okay. Tell me a little bit more about the family. Do you have any other kids? No other children. Mm-hmm. He's the only one. I'm a single mom. Okay. How long ago was the divorce? Uh, I would say when he was seven. Okay. So, yeah, seven, eight years ago. And the father, unfortunately, uh, is doesn't live here close by, so he comes, visits, but he's not always here. Um, so I think that adds to his anxiety, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah. Okay. So, so, so he doesn't have much of a relationship with his father. He does. I mean, the father actually, uh, comes, visits, uh, he goes, but it's not like he's not here all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but he loves his dad and, you know, when the dad is here, they're fine, you know, they do things together and all that, but the, the fact of the matter is that he's not here all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, okay, um, yeah. So, I mean, your son is—you know—you said there's ADHD, there's anxiety, learning disability. Although, even when you describe the learning disability, it could be related to the ADHD because when you give uh, a child with ADHD, like let's t- you tell them to do three things, they usually forget maybe the last one or maybe the last two. So right. it could be related to the ADHD, but it whatever exactly the label is, it seems that it's hard for him in class to pay attention or to fully absorb everything the teacher is saying, which I'm sure leads to struggles. How is how are his grades? You know, this is another thing. He was doing fine up until he was in seventh grade. He's in ninth grade now, uh-huh. and eighth grade was a lot of trouble, a lot of... Um, you know, he wasn't doing well in school, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, ninth grade, obviously, you know, high school is much harder. Expectations are higher. So he is just struggling. His mm-hmm. grades are not good, and he doesn't feel good about it. I know he has a self-esteem issue, and I know that he um, he wants to have good grades. He wants to have friends. He wants all these things, but he's just not. He feels like He's not able to do it, so, um, and I don't know what I can do to help him out, because a lot of times he doesn't want me to help him. He kind of wants to claim his independence, Mm -hmm. and then, so it's it's a really hard position to be in uh, for me and for him. I mean, I want to help him. I just don't know how. Well, um, but, you know, if he's asking for space, you want to make sure you give that to him. Doesn't mean you are sure. neglecting him, but, you know, especially as he's getting into the teenage years, he's going to want to be more independent and also more focused on his peers, which is actually healthy. But I was actually going to ask you about socially how he's doing. You mentioned having trouble making friends. What What's his social life like? Okay, so here's another issue. Um, he has a lot of inappropriate behaviors, uh, which keeps other kids away kind of thing and he, because of that he's gotten in trouble at school um so he's having a hard time um 
finding friends and keeping friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is just so attached to his social media, he thinks, and, you know, he's connected with a lot of kids on the social media, but face-to-face, he has a hard time um, and connecting to other kids. Uh, and Did he always have he, a... Did he have a hard time since he was a young child making friends? Uh, kind of. I, you know, when he was, like, in kindergarten, I've been taking him to doctors ever since he was five years old. Um, and uh, we've done a lot of different treatments. Um, he, uh, yes, he kind of didn't play with a lot of kids. He kind of played on his own mm-hmm. a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, uh, when he was a little bit older, maybe in elementary school, well, he had friends, but not, um, the relationship was never, when I saw other kids, you know how they played together, mm-hmm. he didn't play the same way. He would play on his own, and they maybe asked the other kid something. So he wasn't really, it was like a parallel play all the time, mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah. getting involved with a friend. So um, he's always had struggles with that but and but, now you're saying struggles does he himself see it as a struggle does he want to have more friends and has a hard time or he prefers to be alone you know that's a good question because um i feel like he does want to have friends he just doesn't know how mm-hmm. and maybe he's given up and he said uh, and i asked him i said do you want to you know uh, make a plan with, with so-and-so. And he, he's like, yeah. But then I, I say, okay, do you want to, like, contact him? Or do you want me to contact his mom? He, he says, oh, no. Hmm. So I'm, I'm not sure where he is with that. But I know that he wants to have friends. I know that. He just doesn't know how. Yeah. Well, it might, you know, that's something that, depending on your relationship with him, it, it might be worth talking about. What's going on for him? Is it that he wants to have more friends, but it's difficult? Is it he prefers being alone? He might have some social anxiety that makes him uncomfortable in social situations, so he might want it on some level, but then there's an ambivalence because he's also anxious about making friends or being in social environments, and so he prefers being alone and being on social media, which most teenagers probably spend what we would think is too much time on social media, so that in and of itself isn't something that makes him abnormal or very different, but there could be that this idea that he's found a comfort zone, which is being alone. And of course, being an only child, he was used to that on some level too, of being alone and also didn't get as many opportunities. It seems to, to practice or develop his social skills, but there seems to be something there um, as well. So there might be a social anxiety. And if you can, when you talk to him about how he's doing and you want to make sure you do it in a way where he doesn't feel like you're, he's being judged or uh, attacked in some way. But you can ask him about friendships and what he wants or how he struggles. Or is it that he wants to have more friends or he doesn't want friends? Because we want to make sure we're not putting onto him the desires we have. So we want him to have more of a social life because we think he has to have that. We want to check in with him and see, does that hurt him? Is he in pain? Not would it hurt us if we were in his shoes? So that's something I would say you can try to understand better with him what's going on. Um, but but another thing, you know, when you say I've taken him to doctors since he was five, what we have to be aware of is there could be this 
uh, image he has of himself or a kind of this label of himself of a problem kid or um, a sick kid or, you know, something is not right with me kind of a feeling. And I'm not saying it's bad that you're taking him to doctors. It seems like he might need that help. But I want you to be aware, aware of that, that image that he might have of himself was kind of different in a bad way. And, uh, you know, a lot of negative things that he might be internalizing about his himself. He's been going to doctors since he was five. We have the divorce and then he's getting special t testing and all these things. It's, of course, going to affect him. So I want you to be aware of that, too, this image he might have of himself and that you want to make sure you don't further promote that image he has of himself of being a problem kid and make sure you appreciate his good qualities or the things that you like about him or show him that you're proud of him. Do you think you make an effort of doing that? I do. Okay, good. I make every effort to do that, but I don't know if it sinks in with him. Mm -hmm. I just don't know. It's really hard to read him. A lot of times, you know, I, I you know, I, um, I try every way I know to reach out to him a lot. But he, so I must say this: he is not, he's not depressed because he. He takes care of himself. He eats very healthy food. He likes himself. He, you know, he, what, when you say he likes himself, what do you mean? Like he, um, he likes to take care of himself because uh, he was exposed to some kids who were suicidal, and he always told me why these people want to do that. I would never do that, or he says things like this. So he, so that tells me he, you know, he likes himself. Well, I don't know, it's I don't possible. Know. I'm, I'm. Well, I, I wouldn't say he de doesn't like himself, but I wouldn't say that because he had questions or couldn't understand suicidal thinking that he can't be depressed or there can't be some level of that. So I wouldn't say he can't okay. be depressed. I'm not oh, saying he okay. is, but I wouldn't uh, jump to that conclusion either. Oh, okay. Okay. Because, uh, you know, I actually wanted to ask you, you said he has impulsive behavior and you mentioned something about getting in trouble in school. What kind of things does he do? How would you describe his impulsive behavior? Give me some examples. Okay, so if, um, well, at home, if he, if I say something, he doesn't like it, sometimes he throws things, okay. you know, um, and he, he cusses um, and at school in the past. He has made some sexual comments, you know, um, and um, so obviously that's not okay. No. Uh, so, um, so that's how he got in trouble. Okay. And you know, he got, he's easily influenced by other kids because I think he wants to please others, he wants to have friends. So, you know, if a kid tells him, oh, you know, go touch that girl, like, or say something to her, he would do it. Yeah. He would do it just to, you know... To get, say, well, it's to get their I, approval I, or attention. That's why, you know, I know you're saying you don't think he's uh, depressed, but or, or he really likes himself, but what you're describing is someone who doesn't have a really strong sense of themselves because they wouldn't I, be so influenced by others. Of course, all people, but especially even all teenagers, are going to be impressionable to a degree but the way you're saying it it's more for him than 
maybe other yeah. kids. So what you're describing yeah. is actually a low self-esteem, that he doesn't feel good. He's trying to get attention. Even I, some of his acting out behavior might be to get attention, to get approval, to get people to see him. Uh, if I right. can't get recognized for being good, let me at least get recognized for being bad, so at least I get attention. So he might be missing that. And of course, his father has been relatively absent. I know you're saying they he likes him, but he's not really around much. And that's not going to feel good for any kid, especially a young boy who also doesn't have any other siblings. You know, he's there is right. a, a loneliness he could be feeling. So, like I said, I wouldn't go to that conclusion of he's not sad or depressed. He might be. I'm not saying okay. I know he is, but I would leave that there. But also the way you're describing his behavior, I have some you know other concerns. Can you tell me about mental health history from his father's side and your own side, anything that you know of? So um, from my side, we've had uh, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody in my family has anxiety problem and some level of depression. Uh, on his father's side, uh, same thing. Uh, and on his father's side... There's also uh, some OCDs. Uh, his grandma, my dad, um, I mean, his father's grandmother had uh, OCD. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, his dad's uh, uncle uh, had uh, was bipolar. Okay, that's actually the one I was, I was a little concerned about. Uh, it's definitely too soon to say, but some of what you're saying can have that flavor of, of being bipolar. Um, okay. So I'll just, and that's something to keep in mind. At, at 14, we're not going to diagnose it or I'm not going to yep. say that's what he has, but it's something to think about. And you even mentioned his trouble sleeping. Is is it that he he sleeps too little or he sleeps too much? No, he doesn't. He sleeps like nine, ten hours. Okay. But he doesn't go to bed until two, three in the morning. And the thing is, then it's hard for him to get up in the morning. Um, and one of the reasons he can't sleep at night uh, is that he's worried. Hmm. He, he says, you know, I, he, you know, it, like the other night was raining. And he told me, is that somebody walking toward, towards our door? I said, no, it's, it's the hmm. rain. Um, or, you know, he, he worries about things. Sometimes he checks under the bed. He's like, I want to hmm. make sure nobody's here. Um, or... Yeah, he, that's pretty significant. I mean, the anxiety, it's almost like there's a paranoia there. Um, yes. That, that's concerning. Okay. So that, you know, that could be a, a lot of things. Definitely sounds like the anxiety is very severe that he's at age 14 still, you know, checking under the bed. Um, yes. That that's concerning. You know, let's talk a bit. We're at a commercial break. Let's talk a bit more after the break, okay? Thank you. All right. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Back before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to her caller. Are you still there? Hello? Yes. Hi. Hi. Okay. So we're talking about you and, and your son. Now, you know, you told me a lot about him and things he's dealing with from um, ADHD, anxieties, social issues that he's dealing with. And there does seem to be a lot of mental health issues from both sides, your side and his father's side. So we can see he's inherited 
a lot in that way as well. I did want to talk about your relationship with him. How would you describe your relationship with him? So, um, up until, you know, uh, he was 12, our relationship was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did things together. I, you know, we traveled together. Uh, you know, uh, we talked. He's very close. He's very open with me. He talks to me about everything and anything. And I encourage that. Um, <clears throat> So I would say our relationship has been good. Now, for the past year and a half, I think it's gotten a little bit rocky because um, he's had some inappropriate behaviors, and I just don't know how to handle it. So I get upset, and um, I, you know, I obviously tell him that I'm not happy, don't do that. I mean, so it's gotten a little bit rocky. Mm-hmm. I still... But I still, after all that, I still always go to him and say, you know, no matter what happens, my love never changes for you. I, I want to uh, see how I can help you. Uh, so I, I try to keep that communication open. Um, even though I get upset, I still go to him and, you know, let him know that, you know, even though I'm upset, I don't like what you do, but it doesn't mean that you're bad, you're good, you just make mistakes and things like that. So, uh, but honestly, I think he doesn't like me right now. Okay, what I was going to ask you is actually, what do you think he would say about you? What, what do you think he would say about you? If you say he doesn't like you, what would he be saying? Well, he tells me that I'm annoying. Okay. He tells me that uh, to stay away from him, uh, you know, don't come close to me. They'll come to my room, you know, things like that. Um, and do you do you, I, do you feel like you respect his space? I do. I think you know. Sometimes I do it out of habit, and then when he tells me, I I you know back away, uh, and and I try to give him his space. And uh, but at the same time, he says all that to me, and then the next minute, he like comes to me and asks me for something and I never um, you know I, I, I'm always I, at least I try to be open and you know welcoming him even though you know he like, cuts at me and then the next minute he asks me something uh, to do for him or whatever I, I still honor that okay uh, well that and that's good but you can still tell him if you know if he's talking in a way that you'd think is disrespectful you can mention that to him you can you can have a conversation with him about that but one thing i'm, I'm hearing and it's something I th- a lot of parents have trouble with is dealing with the transition from their child being a child to being a teenager now as a kid it was very easy he wanted to do everything with you he was more open with you you basically knew everything going on in his life but then as a teenager he's going to get a little bit more distant from you he's going to want more privacy, he's going to keep more things from you, he's more focused on his peers than you, and maybe that's been challenging for you to deal with that, him getting a little bit more distant. Yeah. So that's something that I want you to be aware of, that you you have to give him more space. It's actually healthy for him to want more space. And it seems like he's telling you that in different ways, and you're struggling with that, of giving him space, but you want to help him and be there for him. 
but you're going to have to let him figure out more and more on his own. And of course, he can still come to you, made that very clear to him. But especially also being, it's just the two of you in the home, right? Yes. So maybe you're you're feeling a need to be more connected to him or to keep that connection. And he's asking for more space. It might be important for you to think about your own life and what your social life looks like, what you have going on. Are you currently working? Yeah, I work. Okay, uh, good. I mostly work from home, though. I, my work is so that I can. Uh, however, because of all these things, okay, you're absolutely right. But because of all these you know, the trouble he's been in school and inappropriate behavior. So I'm a little, a little bit more, um, how do I want to say this? Uh, like hovering over him or, you know, try to yeah. watch him. Or if it wasn't, if it, if none of these things were there, I would probably let him be, you know, Completely on his own because I trust him. But you're, but you're hover. Well, it seems like you, you're saying you trust him, but you don't. You can't trust him, but then hover uh, at the same time. And you're hovering. You know, keep in mind, your hovering is not going to keep him from doing anything. Because first of all, you shouldn't be hovering on him anyway. But you're not going to hover on him twenty four seven. And he's going to make hundreds and thousands of decisions and actions on his own without you there. So your hovering isn't going to prevent him from acting out at school if he's going to act out at school. So, I just don't want him to get in trouble. Yeah, but he might. You know, you can't prevent that. You can't prevent him to for doing the things he's going to do. You know, you can talk to him and you can have conversations when he wants to have conversations, but you can't control him in that moment if he's going to make a bad decision. And if you're saying he's impulsive and he might have this issue, I can understand you don't want him to get in trouble, but you have to recognize you can't control that and you have to let go of that. And the more you actually try to control him, the more you might push him to act out and in harmful ways. It's not going to help him. So what do you recommend me do? I mean, I I let him um, I, I let him be on his social media, but obviously I have blocked something for him. So he can't go watch inappropriate videos and things like that. What do you, you mean on his internet or his browser? Yes. Okay, he's still going to find ways to find those things. He told me. Yeah. He said, I can go... Uh, mm -hmm. That I can go on things in Russia or <laughs> yeah. all kinds of stuff. Right. But then I said, okay, I appreciate you telling me that, but it's important that you don't watch inappropriate stuff because it's really not good for your brain. But he doesn't understand that. He's like, why? I know. But he's, you know, again, this goes back to the idea of control. You, you're not going to control him watching if it's pornography or whatever else exactly. you don't want to watch. Yeah. He's going to watch it. And. You know, I'm not going to encourage him to watch it at any age in that age, and it can be harmful, but you're not going to stop him. So the more you recognize what you don't have control over and let go of it, the better off you're going to be. But if you try to control things that you can't control, you're just going to drive yourself crazy and make him get angry with you. He, I am driving myself crazy. Yeah, because he's, you know, when it comes to things like technology, he's going to always be a step ahead of you. My guess Absolutely. is, right? Absolutely. So you can't, if you try to beat him there, if you try to make it a power struggle, you're always going to lose. And again, it's just going to make your relationship with him worse and make him hide more from you and, you know, create more of a police state in your house. And it's not going to be a good experience for either of you. So that's what I mean by 
letting go of some things. Yes, you can tell him, this is my concern about you watching certain videos and that's, and then he's going to make his decision. Just like you can say, I think cigarettes are bad for this and this reason, but you can't control whether or not he actually smokes. That's still going to be his decision. You can say you can't smoke in this house because I don't want the smell. For example, I know that hasn't even come up, but I'm just saying you can make rules like that, but you can't, even that you're not going to control. He might smoke when you're not home or he'll go smoke somewhere. You can't do it. So, the rules aren't going to be what's going to f- save the day. You have to give him that freedom to make those choices he's going to make. You can let him know how you feel about them, but just one time let him know, and that's it. Not every day or send him articles on why this is bad for you and, and try to you know create a campaign to prove to him it's wrong or bad. That control is not going to work. If you're telling me he's impulsive and he has all these other things, I'm sure he's looking up lots of things that you probably don't want him to see, but... You know, there's only so much you can do. So the, the other thing is, I'm afraid that something bad is going to happen. So I'm kind of like policing, trying to prevent things. I don't even know what I'm preventing. It's just becoming so debilitating for yeah. me, trying to, you know, figure things out. It, it's yeah. Just, well, what is it? What are you, when you say something bad's going to happen, what, what do you think it, of? Oh, well, you know, if she does inappropriate things at school... At this, in high school, don't call the police. Yeah. No, of course, the stakes get higher. I, no, I, I'm not, and I'm not trying to suggest in any way I want something for him to get in trouble. My point is that you can't control it. You can have an influence to a degree, but especially you can't control it. And I'm happy you're saying he's seeing a, a psychiatrist, but is he also seeing a therapist? Yes, he is. Okay, good. He finally found a therapist that he likes. Good. He went for like four or five therapies. He didn't like any of them. So we finally found something. Yes, he's seeing a therapist. Okay, how long has he been seeing the therapist? Uh, since August. Okay. Because again, we've been, we, we went through several of them. Yeah. He didn't like any of them. So it's relatively, in therapy world, kind of new, four months or so. Um, so be patient with that. I'm glad he's seeing a therapist and he likes the therapist and you're saying he's you know, taking his medication. But I want you to realize, you know, even some of the things you think about him might not be true, this idea that he's, he feels so good about himself because he takes care right. of himself um, right. doesn't necessarily mean that. So I would be okay. more concerned that maybe he's not feeling so good about himself and realize that, right. or even that his acting out, I'm not going to say it's out of his control because I want to give him that responsibility, but he might be dealing with a lot, whether he's doing it to get attention or really he just has such a hard time controlling himself because of ADHD or whatever else he might be dealing with. Uh, try to recognize that he, he's he's struggling with a lot. He's dealing with a lot. So it, it's not so simple to just say he has to stop doing these things. And again, really, I want you to recognize how much is out of your control. Because if you try to control things, you can't, again, you're just going to drive yourself and him crazy. You know, if you try to control what he says to t- to someone tomorrow at school, you, you can't do it. And you're just going to drive yourself crazy and he still might get in trouble and then you're going to get even more angry because you say, I tried to stop you and I did all these things. But your your effort was all futile. You can't control that. So but I think, if he gets in trouble, so what's my role? I mean, what you could let him, you know, you can talk to him about it and see what happens. He was, you know, he's likely the way you're describing him, he's going to get in some trouble. You know, I, I hate to say that, but it's very likely he does. Now, I hope it's in smaller ways and he can maybe learn his lessons, but he's going to have to learn them himself. And maybe with treatment, he'll get better. But if you're saying, I have to prevent him from ever getting in trouble, again, you can't do that. You're not going to be able to do that. 
you know, uh, you know, looking at codependency might be something that you might want to consider. There's a book called Codependent No More, and there's lots of other resources online. Um, the Codependent No More is by Melody Beatty, but this idea that we're responsible for ourselves, and of course you're responsible for your role as a mother, but that doesn't mean you're responsible for every action he takes or that you can control them. And again, it's just going to damage your relationship with him and drive you crazy if you try to do that. So, so letting go doesn't mean you don't care. And sometimes parents think I'm, you know, when you say something like this of letting go the responsibility, I'm not saying don't care at all if he gets in trouble or don't be involved or if you see something going on, don't have a conversation with him. But let go of this idea that I can control him. When he was younger, you could maybe do more of that. When he was six or seven, he'd have a lot more influence. But your influence is going to become less and less. And that's something you're going to have to accept, as difficult as it is. I would continue making sure he goes to his treatment, both the psychiatrist, psychologist. I would focus more on your relationship with him rather than controlling him or specific behaviors he does. Because, again, the more you try to control him, the more distant he becomes and the less you know what's going on and the less influence you even can have on him. So if you say, I'm going to stop him from watching pornography and that's my new obsession, you're more than likely just going to make him further away from you and hide maybe something worse. So I'd focus more on your relationship rather than your controlling of him. Okay. And one thing I want to mention, he, I've talked to him about pornography and watching it is really not healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, so he comes and tells me, oh, I watched porn today. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Well, you can tell, I mean, you know, that makes me wonder why he's telling you. You know, on one hand, it's good he's telling you, he's being open with you, but... I don't know if he's trying to get a rise or reaction out of you or what else it might be. You can even ask him. You know, I wonder, you know, I don't like you watching. So when you tell me that, I wonder what makes you want to tell me. You know, so you, I would ask him. I don't know why he tells you whether it's uh, he wants to be open with you or if it's kind of to kind of put it in your face, to kind of it's an act of rebellion or show you I could see it even if you want me not to see it. So it's hard for me to tell you why, but he's he's opening up something, and I would take advantage of that or not lose that opportunity and, and communicate with him. Like, I wonder why you tell me that. You could say, you know how I feel about it, and that's it. I wouldn't say, let me begin my 20-minute speech about why you shouldn't watch it. But you can just say, you know how I feel about it. I don't think it's good for you um, or it's, it's good to watch, but I'm wondering what makes you tell me. Okay. And, and see what he says. So again, that's what I mean by focusing more. Even when that happens, your thought more than likely is, how do I get him to stop? And I'm saying focus more on how do I connect with him? How do I focus on the relationship rather than okay. on his specific behaviors? Because you're going to have almost no control over that. I see. Okay. Yeah. And one more thing about the fear and worry. The fear and worry always comes at night hmm. when it's like time, like 11 o'clock. He starts saying things like, I mean, again, I would talk to him, but again, it does seem like his his anxiety is really significant. He's not; it's not just a slight anxiety, you know. So, um, I would 
you know, he, he really does need treatment that's serious. And I'm glad you're taking him to see someone, but that's pretty severe. You could talk to him about it, but I really don't think it is something. But there is a, yeah, there's almost like an OCD type of quality to it, or the anxiety is really strong. So, I mean, it's hard for me to tell you exactly what to do in each incident or each thing he brings up. I would show him that you care about how he's feeling and you are hearing it, but letting him know that really there isn't any issue if there isn't. So, you know, these are these are hard conversations to have with him, but just keep this in mind of how anxious he is. And so his acting out could be coming from somewhere and you want to pay attention to that. But you no, know, it's a challenge. I mean, he's emotionally a handful. I can get that. It's yeah. not easy on you. But I want you to remember as much as you can that it's not something he's doing on purpose. His fears aren't intentional. Or he'd rather not have them himself. And remember that, that it's him suffering. It's him having pain. Um, rather than trying to make, you know, making him feel bad. I can get that it's frustrating. But you want to make sure he doesn't get that feeling that he's bad because he has this anxiety. Because that's really out of his control. Right. Yeah. So if psychiatrists, so again, we went through a lot of different medications and they had side effects and it didn't work. So now uh, he was, he's prescribed Paxil, mm -hmm. which is it helps with anxiety, depression, as well as OCD. Uh, now, um, we just got that. I haven't started him on it. Uh, do you, what's your opinion about that? Uh, you know, he's so young. I don't want to put him... Um, he is, you know, he's he's young, but, you know, I want to wrap it up because we're actually, I, I got to get to the commercial break. He's young, but I would listen to the psychiatrist when it comes to that. He he does have significant anxiety and it's really severe. So I wouldn't, you know, say because he's young, don't put him on medication. Yes, I'd be conservative when it comes to kids or teenagers overall. I'm not a psychiatrist to make that determination, but, you know, he's really suffering and he really needs something. So I, I wouldn't ignore that and antidepressants are not too impactful as far as negatively you know as far as the research that i've seen and i know shows it's not something that's really going to damage him but what he's dealing with is very damaging and hurtful so i would you know if you want to, you always can get a second opinion but i would listen to what the psychiatrist is telling you and go forward with that okay yeah but, but thanks for calling. Good luck. Again, he, he's, he's going through, he's a handful. I get that it's a lot for you, but remember it's a lot for him too. And he's not choosing to feel that way. And it's just something you both have to deal with. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for calling. Thank Take you. care. Thank you very much. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. All right. We've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I'm 15 and a half years old. and um, You said 15 and a half? Yeah. Okay. 15. And I have my dad's with me, too, if you have any questions. <laughs> okay. And I have, like, OCD and anxiety. I would say that I have more anxiety than OCD. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm doing pretty well in school. I have like a 4.5, and 
I like I'm I'm a little like obsessed with like my grades, like to make sure that they're like high. <laughs> and like whenever I get stressed, I'll like go towards food almost, and like I'll pull my hair. Mm. And I just wanted to like figure out ways to like cope with that. And I do Taekwondo. That's I'm good. And I want to make it to the like USA national team, and that like worries me a lot. I think about it mm. a lot. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, well, it seems like uh, there's a lot of anxiety, but related to that, a lot of perfectionism, which mm-hmm. um, obviously creates a lot of anxiety and and can make almost anything that might even be enjoyable, like school or taekwondo, into kind of suffering or kind of torture because it's it's never pleasant because it's just when you're perfectionist, you just avoid disaster if you have a success, mm-hmm. but then you're still waiting for the next potential disaster. So. Um, that seems really difficult, really tough. And obviously you're doing very well if you have a 4.5, but uh, I guess it's never enough when you're a perfectionist or dealing with what you're dealing with. Now, the Taekwondo is good because as far as I know, you know, there's exercise, but there's a lot of focus and concentration in some in any of the martial arts that can have almost like a meditative quality to it. Uh, one of the things I was going to suggest to you was meditation that can help with anxiety. Have you ever tried that before? Um, I've tried to be like mindful and stuff, mm-hmm. but I haven't went to like a full state of like meditation. But okay. I've like tried to like relax myself sometimes. Like I would close my eyes and just like try to relax, but I wouldn't like do it for a long time. Like if mm-hmm. I'm doing homework, I would just do it in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that can yeah, and that can be enough. And meditation, sometimes people think it has to be this big thing, like you know you have to go to a teacher or you have to go to the mountains and spend hours. It can be just five minutes, even one minute, but just five minutes in your room where you breathe, sit comfortably, and breathe in and out, and try to focus on your breath. And when thoughts come, and they inevitably will, try to just uh, observe them, but come back to the breathing as much as you can. So meditation could be something to, to consider. Tell me a little bit more about your family. I know you said your father is, is there and can talk. Um, but tell me yourself about your family. You have siblings. Are you living with your mom and dad? What's going on there? I'm, um, my parents got divorced when I was like eight years old, I think, or like seven. And at that, I have a sister, she's, like, two years older than I am, and at that time, like, um, she would come with me to my dad's house, and then, like, a year ago, she stopped wanting to go, Hmm. and I kind of felt comfortable to stay with my mom, just, like, out of my comfort, there was no reason why, really, it's just, like, I didn't like to keep moving my stuff, and her house is way closer to my school, and then... Hmm. I kind of started, I feel like, I felt like I was with her almost, like, too much, which was, like, almost making me nervous. So I kind of started coming towards, like, to my dad a little more. Hmm. And, but my sister doesn't come with my dad. Okay. So So do you live at both houses and you go back and forth? Or mostly with your dad now? Um, mostly with my, well, I'm still with my mom, but I'm, like, Kind of like moving towards being with um, like half and half almost. Okay. I don't really like to have like dates because that just kind of like makes it less enjoyable. I kind of like, and my parents are fine with that. Okay, so they're flexible. Like you can choose where you want to go and when. Yeah. Okay. Do you ever feel a pressure from them about where you go? Yeah, I do. You do feel a pressure. Yeah. 
Okay, how how does that show itself? What do they do? Like, my dad tells me to, like, come to his house a lot, and then my mom also, she's, like, really, like, um... I, sometimes I get a little annoyed, and I say that I'm going, and then she gets, like, a little defensive almost. Mm. It seems like. Yeah. And that just irritates me even more. Sure. And so, you know, I know you said your dad's listening, but for both your parents, I'm sure they like to have you around, and they want to be around you, but they have to give you that space to be where you want and not take it personally and not um, make you have to try to make them feel good about where you go. You know, you're the, the child, and even if you weren't, in any case, you have the right to decide what you want to do, but they have to act like the parents and give you that space. If you want to be at one person's home, you're there. If you want to go to the other, you should be there and, and feel okay, especially since you're dealing with anxiety and even some OCD that pressure is really going to be harmful to you. So I hope they'll both hear that and recognize that they're just crushing you by putting that pressure on you. It's not anything good. And they're doing it, even though they think it's coming from a place of, because I love my child, I want to be around them. It, it, it's definitely more from a selfish place. It's not coming from a selfless, loving place. And they, they have to respect what you want. So I hope they'll hear that. And you can even let them know that. I'm sure you have in, in some way or another. Um, but they have to give you that space because you're dealing with a lot. Now, you know, when you describe yourself, you're, you're obviously very successful in what you do, but the perfectionism seems to get in the way. How do you do socially? Friends, um, whether it's dating, but whatever it is, how are you doing in your social life? Um, I have a lot of friends. Like, a lot of people like me. I don't have people who don't like me, really. Mm hmm and I, I don't, I'm good at, like, at school, I have, like, a lot of friends I can be with. Like, even if I don't, I'm pretty social, so I can make friends, not all the time. Mm -hmm. Just when I feel like I want to be social. Like, when I go to Taekwondo, I'm not as social in my, um, because I go to two studios. I go to one that is an hour away from my house and one that's, like, 20 minutes away from my house. Mm -hmm. When I go to Taekwondo, I am not as social, but when I'm at school, I'm a little more social. And I have really good friends. They're, like, really, um, they don't really do bad things. They're really, like, um, doing well in school as well. Okay. Well, that's good. So you feel happy or content about your social life. Now, one thing you said, people don't not like you uh, or dislike mm -hmm. you. That is a good thing, but also uh, it could come from a place of sometimes avoiding conflict or not wanting to create let people know who you are in some ways do you ever feel like that's the case like you avoid conflict yeah i really don't like it i'll try mm -hmm. to stay away from it as much as i can yeah so that's the thing i mean on the surface it sounds good if no one dislikes you but that could also come from a place of holding back who you are or holding back what you feel or think in a scenario just to avoid the conflict and and someone who's a perfectionist can be that way too so that seems to be a big theme. This anxiety and perfectionism affects, I think, a lot of areas of your life. Um, of course, there's one thing I would recommend almost anyone who calls in, because I think everyone could benefit from it, and that is going to therapy. Has that so is that something you've experienced before? Um, well, I have like a um, like a mentor that I talk to a lot, mm -hmm. and she's like really educated about it. And I went to a therapist like I think I went in like October. Mm -hmm. And I went for like a month and I really, I didn't feel anything improving because every time I would say something, she wouldn't really help me. 
Okay. Now, therapy can be a slow process, and uh, most therapists, they're going to be letting you speak a lot more than they do. So I think a lot of people think when they go to therapy, the therapist is going to fix their problems or tell them what to do or have something to say about everything they bring up. Or even they hear my show or my father's show and it's a lot more directive and they think therapy is going to be exactly like that. But therapy works a lot slower than what you experience right now with me or what some people expect. So I would hope you consider that because you're, you know, you're asking me, what can you do for your anxiety? And the first two things that come up in general when we talk about treatment is medication and therapy. And I'd rather you start with therapy and, and see if medication is necessary later on. Um, but I'd hope you give therapy a real chance, which means going for at least a few months. And maybe you didn't feel comfortable with that therapist. That's possible. But I hope you don't give up on that. Yeah, I can go back. I can try it again. Yeah. Like, I'm open to it. Okay. I think that would be... That'd be worth worth a chance. Now, I want to hear more about what your anxiety is like, because you mentioned having anxiety and even some OCD, but I want to get more into what you really experienced. So hold on the line, and we're going to talk a bit more after the break, okay? Okay, thank you. Sure, thank you. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Back before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to her. Caller, are you still there? Yeah. Okay. All right. So you were telling me about um, that you're dealing with anxiety, OCD, and we talked about a lot of different things. But as I was mentioning, I wanted to know more about how does the anxiety, especially the OCD, show itself in your life? I, like, um, for the anxiety, it shows, like, when I get home from school a lot, or even when I'm at school, I like to, like, on something like not really gum but like food because it almost like relieves my stress a lot when I get home like I like to like I'll eat like I'll overeat almost and I don't like that because it interferes with like my training for taekwondo Mm -hmm. so like and then I'll like pull my hair no it's kind of went down a lot because I just don't like see a reason like to do it as much anymore but like I used to do it, like, a lot more, like, to a point that, like, it's really, like, there's, like, way too much. And then I bite my nails a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, you know, you brought up a few different ways. It seems that you, you deal with the anxiety from a body type of way. One was the eating. Now, is the eating ever to a point where you feel that you're binging? You eat to the point where you're feeling sick? Yeah, I've done that a lot, like, mm-hmm. for the past three months, like, when I started this school year. Okay, yeah. Um, and you know, you mentioned something else, even I think about the hair pulling that I don't, I try to not do it because I don't see a reason for it. Now, is there a, a positive reason? Like it's beneficial for you? No, but clearly you're doing it to try to deal with the anxiety or to, to help yourself feel better or to at least numb yourself or remove the anxiety. So that's why you're, you're doing all three of those things, the eating, uh, the pulling your hair or biting your nails, all the same thing. Now with the pulling of hair, do you mean you actually pull out your hair? Yeah, like, just, like, pee. Well, I almost, like, I sometimes I don't even notice. Yeah. 
And it's like this certain thought that I just like, I don't know, it's like kind of relieving. I know it's like it's really unhealthy, but like it's like so hard for me to stop and I wake up in the morning and I'm like, you know, I'm not going to pull my hair at all. I'm not going to overeat. And then like the day then I come home from school, like there's usually like Tuesdays, especially is like my stressful day. Mm -hmm. I like do my homework and I'm like, okay, like. I'm going to take a break, and then, like, sometimes I go in the kitchen, and I stay there, so. Yeah. Now, do you, uh, so you only pull the hair on your head? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And so maybe you've, I don't know if you've read about it, but um, generally they call that trichotillomania. Yeah. Yeah. I like it a little. Yeah. So, you know, it is usually from anxiety, and there can be a sense of relief from pulling the hair um, that you might be feeling. So what you're feeling is what many other people experience. It's understandable. It's a way of trying to cope with the anxiety, or actually people with OCD can commonly do that as well. So it, it seems likely that's what, what you're doing. So you're clearly trying to deal with your anxiety in ways that, unfortunately, you don't like, it seems. Mm -mm. And especially with your perfectionism, my concern would be that you go to a, a shameful place when it comes to the eating or the hair pulling. Yeah, I get, like, I feel really bad after. Mm, yeah. Like, it's so terrible. And then I'm like, okay, I'll just eat whatever I want, and tomorrow I'll start, and, like, I'll get, like, a really toned and lean, so it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Like, today's my last day. Yeah, which is a common, you know, we all, that's kind of like the the addict's anthem, which you just described right there. You know, most people, they do that, whatever their thing is, if it's drugs, if it's food, alcohol, or any other gambling, they kind of just tell themselves, okay, I'm, from tomorrow, I'm going to be perfect about it, so today I can do whatever I want. Um, but it's a way of just going to that comfort zone, which is to 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 comfort your anxiety with the eating, or if it's the hair pulling, whatever it might be. Now, I'm not saying I want you to do those behaviors because I see how they can hurt you or they're not beneficial. But what I would recommend is if you can try to shift your perspective and add a little bit more compassion to how you deal with yourself. Clearly, you're dealing with a lot of anxiety and you go to these kind of habits that you have to deal with the anxiety, whether it's the eating or the hair pulling or biting your nails. Um, and we do want to see how we can reduce them. But in the meantime, recognize it's not because you're bad or something is, is, you know, you're making some huge mistake. It's that you're overwhelmed with anxiety and you're choosing these ways to deal with them, which are ways that lots of people deal with them. So you're not the only one that does this. And so I want you to be aware of that, to not be so hard on yourself because the shame isn't going to help you. It just beating yourself up just makes it worse. Um, so I want you to be aware of that, that you're really hurting yourself in some way. How do your parents respond to these types of behaviors? Well, like, my dad gives me, like, a lot of, like, strategies on, like, ways to eat, like, healthier. And then I'm like, okay, like, I'll write myself, like, a week plan mm -hmm. of, like, this is, like, what I'm going to eat this week. And then I, I do, like, the first meal. And then I'm like, you know, I'm just going to change it. It's going to be healthy, but I just don't want to follow that. And yeah. my mom, she's not really open to talk about it. Okay. But does she notice it or make any comments about the hair pulling or your eating, or she doesn't really make comments? She once said I did the hair pulling for attention. Hmm. And I, I really don't. Like, 
I don't feel the need like for attention really. No, it, it's felt... almost the opposite. You almost it seems like you almost don't want people to know you do it. Yeah. And like she she just says like don't do it. Yeah, that's uh easy you know, obviously that's advice that's easier said than done and not really the advice you need. But I mean I don't like that you said it was for attention because that's very it minimizes your pain also. One it it uh kind of downplays what's going on but also says you're not really suffering rather than recognizing, oh, if you're pulling your hair, it clearly means you're having a lot of anxiety and stress and you're trying to deal with it. So unfortunately, it seems like she's trying to minimize or deny the pain that you're in, which is which is not going to be helpful. I'd rather she recognizes it. And even from your dad, I don't think either one of your parents can or should focus on trying to change your behavior themselves because it's something you have to figure out or work on. So I get where he's coming from with the advice, but what you what's missing is not that you don't know what to eat or that you don't know that eating a lot's not good for you it's that it's coming from more an emotional place that it's hard for you to control what you're what you're eating or it's your way of dealing with the anxiety or the stress so uh, you know you could even let him know that that it's not that you need the right advice of give me a diet plan it's that there's something more going on which is that you're having a hard time dealing with the anxiety that you are carrying with you every day So, you know, that that's what I would say from both of your parents. From your mom, do you get that feeling that she, you know, denies or undermines your pain? Yeah, she does it with her own, too. Yeah. But it's not like, it doesn't, like, really surprise me. Sure. Well, that, I mean, glad you can recognize that. It still doesn't make it easy. But most people who do that, uh, you, I see it a lot. Parents who have a hard time or try to deny their own pain, they can't tolerate their own sadness or anger or any other feeling they also can't tolerate it in anyone else especially their kids so they want to deny it they want to ignore it they want to minimize it because they just can't handle the feelings but of course that doesn't give a good feeling to whoever it is they're dealing with in that way and unfortunately you have to experience that so it seems like you've almost accepted that when it comes to mom she's just not gonna not someone i can talk to about those things she can't handle it yeah so i just don't really talk to her about it sure it usually happens to me when I'm at her house, too, mm. not at, as much as at my dad's house, because um, at my dad's house, there's, like, not as much, like, I don't feel like, it doesn't feel right, really, because hmm. I, I haven't done it there, really. Okay. Well, it's, it's you know... I uh, it's glad I'm glad you're paying attention to it to try to understand it better because to change behaviors like this is complicated. It's very easy for someone to say, "Hey, just don't pull your hair, or don't eat so much, or don't bite your nails." That, that's it's easy for anyone to tell anyone else that kind of advice and and expect the change or think they can change it so easily. But it's not so simple. So you're gonna have to figure out a lot of things about it. But I also don't want you to think that you should have to figure it out or deal with it on your own. And this is where the therapy comes in. And even I would consider, you know, something we'd have to consider is medication because your anxiety does seem very severe and mm -hmm. it's not likely going to just go away on its own. So I would want you to take that seriously of seeing a therapist and through the therapist, seeing what they think about uh, the potential for medication and then being open to that possibility. Because uh, the way you're describing, describing it, it's, it's pretty intense. And things like this, unfortunately, tend not to get smaller or just go away. It's not just a phase. It's likely going to get more significant or more severe. So we want to face it now rather than waiting on it. 
Mm-hmm. Have your parents, uh, other than the one month you went the, to therapy, do your parents bring up therapy or that they want you to see someone or that they think you might benefit from that? Well, my, I have, I did it when I was really, like, young. Like, when my parents divorced, they tried to put me in, like, there so, like, they could, like, help me. Uh-huh. And that didn't really help me that much. Mm-hmm. Like, they were honestly, like, in my head, I thought, like, I could resolve what I was talking to her about. But then I went to another one and, like, I just, like, it really interfered, like, with my schedule a lot. So, like, I'll just figure it out with someone else. And I think they're fine with that because I want to maybe try someone else instead of the other two that I've been to. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I hope you will try with someone else. And what's really important with therapy is that you choose someone that you feel comfortable with and you feel that can help you and you feel it gets you. And only you can make that determination. So... I hope you'll find someone else because, um, you know, dealing with this on your own is not going to work. That's actually another thing that can come from a perfectionistic place of I should be able to figure it out or I should be able to solve this on my own. I should be able, I should be smart enough or strong enough to, to fix this. But these aren't things that you're supposed to deal with on your own. And it's not an indication of you being bad or weak. It's just you, first of all, I'm sure inherited a lot of anxiety from your parents we didn't talk much about them but Mm -hmm. it's not really something that's just you can take away or erase so you deserve to get help and i want you to really recognize that i get that it's hard right now what you're experiencing but just imagine it's more than likely going to get worse rather than get better so that's Mm -hmm. why i'd really hope you get some help okay that sounds good yeah and you know it's coming from this there's this you know deeper place of not feeling like you're enough, which can be underneath perfectionism. And that's what hopefully therapy can help you with, but it takes time, is this recognition that you are good enough, that you don't need to just perform or be perfect. No one can be perfect. And being human, by definition, you are imperfect, and that's okay, and loving yourself anyway. But this drive to be perfect, it's creating all this anxiety, and then because of all that anxiety, you're dealing with it in these ways that then make you feel shameful and bad about yourself, and then the cycle continues. And that's really, uh, you know, a pretty torturous cycle you're putting yourself through. And I have one other question. Sure. For Taekwondo, we have to do, like, fighting and, like, perform. There's fighting, and then there's, like, performance. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really, I do the perform. I love the performance, and that's, like, what I want to get into the Nationals with, not really the fighting as much uh-huh. but, but I have to do the fighting because like it's just a part of it mm-hmm. I have like a lot of fear with that and I don't know why and it's like rising a little bit hmm. so you have a fear of getting doing the fighting against the other competitors yeah because like the kids who go to my school that I do the fighting at they're not very like controlled I mean they're not bad but like it's I think it's more in me. Hmm. So there's an anxiety of like them hurting you? Uh, yeah, partially. And then there's just like another anxiety too. Because I feel like I can't get that hurt. Like that it's going to like stop my life. But I, I don't know. I have a lot of like fear in general. So. Well, yeah. Well, it seems like you definitely, you know, the anxiety is going to be something that you don't just have in one area of your life. You bring it with you, unfortunately, everywhere. Um, but it seems like something with the fighting, I'm not sure what it is, if it's the getting hurt, if you also, you don't like the idea of, of getting, hurting others, you might have a lot of anger 
within you, people with anxiety tend to. And maybe there's a fear of also letting out that anger on that opponent that you might have. So it could be a fear of them, but it could also be a fear of yourself and letting your own anger out that could be uh, creating an anxiety in you. I think it's like all of them. Yeah, right. So it seems like that, that we can see why that would create so much anxiety just thinking about all those different elements. And what, you know, that just what we just had right there, that 30 seconds is what you can get from therapy is looking a little bit deeper at what's going on, which can give you some realizations that you likely won't come to on your own as you know, self-aware as we are and as introspective as we can be, we still need an outside person who's unobject, who's objective, who can tell us about us. So that's why I really think in the way you talk, you're really smart. You'd benefit from talking with someone. And I think you'd get a lot out of therapy. So take that seriously. And I'd say as soon as possible, get in there and be open to that possibility of medication as well. Okay. All right. It's nice talking to you. Best of luck to you. Have any questions for my dad who's just wondering? No, I mean, I just say the things I said, but for both of your parents, I hope he heard and uh, recognized that you know it's not that you need his specific advice on how to deal with things, but um, to not give put pressure on you to be a certain way or to just stop these behaviors. It's harder than just to say stop doing it, it's not going to work that way. And that your those behaviors are more an indication of a pain within you rather than just focus on those behaviors. I'd rather he focuses on that pain and connecting with you. So you don't need him to fix the problems. Uh, you just need his love and support. Okay, thank you so All much. All right, thank you. Nice talking to you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, we've reached our last commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. back let's go to our next caller radio hamra you're on the air hi doctor thank you so much for your time sure thanks for calling hey doctor um of a young lady which doesn't want to have your phone is breaking up okay i'm sorry is it better a little bit let's let's try that again yeah um when the adult child doesn't want to have with the parent. Yeah, I'm going to have to stop you. I, I, it's hard to hear. Every, every other word is, yeah, almost every word is breaking up. I'm really sorry. Okay. Um, you want me to call back? Sure. You could try, you know, we'll have to probably go to but another. All I want to know, doctor, all I want to know is what's the best way to handle abandonment from child. Abandonment from the adult child abandoning you? Yes. Okay. Um, you know, well, that's a hard question for me to just answer just like that, because if anyone wants to have a relationship with us, or if you want to have a relationship with someone, they have to want to have one with us. We can never force someone to be in a relationship with us. Now, as a parent, um, we always want to look at what is it that our child, even if they're adult, is upset with us about? Why might they not want a relationship with us? Are they upset about something specific we did? Is it a certain dynamic in our relationship that we we did that they didn't like? Uh, but all you can do if they're not communicating with you at all is to apologize and genuinely mean that apology. 
but also recognize that when you make an apology, it doesn't mean you're granted forgiveness. And if we expect immediate forgiveness, we have to really consider, am I actually apologizing? Because a genuine apology includes a part or a piece where we are saying, um, I understand what I did was hurtful and it might take you time to forgive me. But most people, when they're apologizing, because really all they're doing is wanting forgiveness and wanting to not feel guilty, they don't have that element in their apology. Well, the, the, it's not very clear the uh, reason for it, but uh, apology didn't work. And not to see her. Yeah. So, now, I, I'm really, you know, I w- wish I want to actually have this conversation with you, but I almost can't make out any of the words you're saying. I think I heard you say something about apology not working, and then I, I couldn't hear yeah. the rest. So yeah. I, I hope yeah. you can call back another time because it's going to be tough Doctor, to continue. All I want to know is I should let go. Well, I know, yeah, I know you want, you know, you know, um, and because of the sound quality that we're de- issue we're dealing with, it becomes even more pressing and you want an answer from me, but I can't tell you exactly if you have to let go or not. I would say you can't force her to be in a relationship with you. So in that way, you can let go of trying to control the situation, but you can let her know, as you probably have, that you want a relationship with her. You are sorry for whatever it is she might be angry about and you'd like to work it out with her. Um, but we can't control someone else. So I can't tell you, you know, say these three things and she'll come back or you should definitely just let go because I don't know what's, what's going to happen. I would say, let go of what she's doing because you can't control that. And you have control just over your side. And unfortunately, if she doesn't want a relationship with her, you might have to accept that or at least be patient, um, to see what's going on. I would be aware of, I know you're saying you have apologized and, um, that can be a good thing, but we want to be aware of our apology and really did it land with them? Because like I said, people apologize in lots of ways that aren't genuine. They might not acknowledge what the other person is hurt by. So were you actually aware of what she was hurt by? Cause that would be important. Um, two, did you make it clear that you realized it was hurtful and you wouldn't want to do something like that again? Because a big part of an apology is not just, I'm sorry, but also I'm sorry. I don't want to ever hurt you in that way. And many of us have experienced an apology from someone who says sorry for something they've done a hundred times and we don't really feel it because we think, well, they're going to do the same thing tomorrow. So it doesn't feel like a genuine apology. So that's another element you can look at is, was my apology genuine and did it really land with uh, my daughter? And, And if it did or if it did not, we still have only so much control over it. I understand it's difficult and you want that relationship with her but you can't control what, what she does. So um, I hope you can call back another time where we can go back and forth a little bit more because it really, you know, it's thank hard to so hear. Much, yeah. Thank you for calling. Take great. care. All right. Let's uh, go to another caller. Hello, Radio Hamra. You're on the air. Um, hello. Uh, hi, doctor. Hi. Thanks for calling. This, this, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm, why don't we talk about my niece? Mm-hmm. Um, and she is 14 years old, middle child. Um, older sister is 21 and younger is 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, parents are divorced. Mother is American. Father is my brother, who's Persian. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, I just got a disturbing call from my brother a couple of days ago that my niece is not, you know, doing well at school. She keeps talking about you know, ending her life, and she's not happy, she doesn't want to do anything. And the only thing that she has responded to is to come visit me, which is, you know, I'm in a different city. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she, I mean, we have a close relationship. We love each other a lot, and she wants to come here. Um, but I'm really concerned because we do have a lot of uh, mental issues in our family. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had my cousin, unfortunately, killed himself mm-hmm. with schizophrenia, and the rest of the family, we all have either depression or anxiety or all that. So um, my brother, again, is not extremely into therapy and definitely is against medication, unfortunately. But uh, I want to know is there how if I possibly even can help at all when she's going to be here. She's coming here tomorrow. She's going to be here for about two weeks. Okay. Um, Yeah. So I'm also, I wish we had more time. We could have about eight, seven minutes or so. So maybe even you can call back next week when she's with you or, and we can talk will, some more. Um, but, you know, one thing I'll say first, and I say this always, if anyone, child or adult, makes any comment about suicide, we always take it seriously. And by I take understand. it seriously, I don't mean we immediately call 911, but we definitely don't ignore it as many parents like to do. They want to deny that it's real or say it's a phase or they're just saying something. No, every time mm-hmm. you take it seriously for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. One is, of course, it could be genuine that they're very close to committing suicide and we obviously don't want to let that happen but even too if it is just quote unquote for attention which is maybe what some parents would like to believe it is maybe it is in that instance maybe it's not we want to show them that we're always going to take it seriously that you can't just say the word i'm going to kill myself and there's going to be no response because then they could use it as a bargaining chip you know parents won't listen to it and they keep keep saying it so you take it seriously every time meaning you have a conversation with them about it um, you really get into what's going on, what do you mean when you say that, try to get a better understanding of how serious they are about it. Um, but definitely we take it seriously every single time, okay? Right. Um, mm-hmm. But when it comes to this idea of, you know, he doesn't think therapy is good, or sometimes people tell me they don't believe in therapy. I've heard of this before. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about a religion when we say, do you believe in I therapy or not? I'm not? I know I you don't totally believe understand. this, but I'm saying this for other people. You don't think that. We're talking about something that has scientific backing that shows that it helps, mm-hmm. that right. it does, it can benefit them. Now, I can understand his reluctance to medication, um, but again, because of the severity of what we're talking about, which is suic- thinking about suicide or at least talking about it, and there's schizophrenia and other uh, you know mental illness in your family background it it is a Mm -hmm. possibility Uh, i'm not Mm -hmm. for getting kids on medication i'm not one of those people that thinks everyone should be on medication absolutely not but i do recognize there sometimes is a need and it's possible that would be the need and even maybe his reluctance to take her to therapy is that they're going to say she needs to be on medication and he doesn't want to to deal with that I, you know, there's only so much you can do. You can just, you're, in, you're you know, the aunt, you can have a relationship with her. You can show her a lot of love, try to make her feel good. But, and I, but I would say more than that, focus on talking to her father, your brother about this is something serious. This is not a joke. We know, you know, you said a family member has taken their own life. Suicide is a real I thing. I two of them. I also have my mm. uncle who just did, but didn't have that man. He was saved. We do have he attempted, but he he survived. He survived, yeah. Okay, so I mean, you know, you know, I would just have a real heart to heart with him. Look, we know suicide is real. It's affected our family in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not a joke. We have to take it seriously. And the way to help is that, or you know, I'd even ask him, what do you want to do to help her? What is his mm-hmm. plan? You know, we can't just ignore this or take it lightly. Yeah, 
I understand, and I really, I completely understand the severity of this because I have seen this happen, unfortunately. Um, but my brother seems to kind of tone it down and say, well, he's just not, she's just not feeling good, and, you know, maybe two weeks with you will help her. No, he's I don't being, think you know, I'm not a professional. No, you're not, and even if you were a professional, it doesn't make a difference. I mean, it, it, you know, what she needs is more than just... It can be good for her, but we're talking about something serious, and he has to, I would just, you know, as much as you can, and not in front of her, make sure she's not um, exposed to the conversations of making, because it can seem like we're talking about her in a judgmental, negative way, but just, you got to let him know, this is serious, like, what are you doing? This is not a joke. You know, I would be almost, you might have to almost be confrontational with him. I would approach first in a different way, but if he's really not seeing it, you might have to get it through his head that this is not a joke. Your daughter's talking about this. And this can actually happen. What would you do if your daughter committed suicide? How would you feel if you did nothing? So you might have to be very forceful with him, very almost aggressive to a degree yeah. to get him to see the severity of what we're talking about. This is not a joke. Um, and I'm glad, you know, she's coming with you. You can try to connect with her. But also, you know, and what you even said, like, I'm not a professional. You're not supposed to save her. You know, it's not your responsibility. Right. You can't by yourself. So don't put that responsibility on you. She's going to need, yes, your love can be one part or piece of the puzzle, but she's going to need some real serious help. Um, and she okay. talked about deserving help. She definitely does. This is not something um, that's just going to go away. So his hope that she's just saying it, she's in a bad mood or whatever else he wants to tell himself, you got to make it very clear to him that's not the case. And maybe after spending time with her, you'll have more insights and you can get it even more clearly to him of what she's going through or that she needs help. But, you know, when she comes to see you, I would just show her a lot of love. Just, you know, I know there's going to be a one, you're going to probably want to do too much, like really save the day, which coming from a good place, but be aware you don't have to do that. And two, you might have a tendency that as soon as she comes, you're going to want to understand everything or know what's going on or get to the bottom of it. But if she's staying with you for two weeks, I would say be patient. So I'm not saying ignore things, okay. don't talk about them, but make sure you don't okay. try to dive too deep too quickly because it might make her even close okay. off. Show her you're open to talking, you're ready to talk, be very sensitive and all that. But make sure it's also about having fun and, and enjoying yourselves and then you'll have Hello. times mm -hmm. to, to connect and talk. But the real help is going to have to be from some kind of outside source on top of um, her father being more aware that your your kid's in pain and he can't ignore that. Mm -hmm. And I think my mm -hmm. concern is that what he's saying means he's ignoring the pain in general. So if she says she's really sad, so. uh, yeah, and that that's a problem. So this, I mean, usually that comes with someone who doesn't believe in psychology or therapy. They, in general, are dismissive of, of feelings and talking about feelings and being there. And, you know, her, his daughter's going to need someone who can, you know, it's interesting. We talk about being man enough, being tough and all these things that really have no benefit most of the time. She needs her dad to be man enough or be adult enough to handle her feelings, to handle emotions, to handle difficult conversations. So it's, it's weak not to be able to talk about feelings, not strong, even though a lot of times men think it makes that. it strong. I, yeah. And I hope, you know, most of what I'm saying is not directed towards you. It's to no, 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 men in general, but people to hear that, that if we're so strong, if a man is telling me how strong they are, how come they can't handle a conversation? That's a sign of mm -hmm. weakness, not a sign of strength. So I mm -hmm. hope he'll tolerate and get better at dealing with that. And, you know, you're going to shower her with love, but then also try to connect with her. But then, you know, you're going to have some hard work and you can only do so much, but try your best to get your brother, her dad to see 
that we got to do something. You can't ignore this. This is serious. Think about our uncle. Think about our cousin. This is real. This is real stuff. This is real life. Um, so I'm glad you called it. I'm glad I was able to talk with you. If you want to call back again, please do. I do have to wrap up the show. Hi, well, I she wants to talk to yourself next week because she's fixing yeah. so much. Okay, stuff. and yeah, only you know, uh-huh. only, you know, only if she's very comfortable with it. So make sure she's not feeling pressured. But I'd be more than happy to talk. To I will. Her. Okay, and one more question, one last question. Uh, if we, um, I yes. can get permission from her dad, can I take her to counseling for the next two weeks or not? Uh, you know, seeing someone once or twice somewhere is not necessarily the best always. So I would okay. talk more about a longer term solution. Okay, that would be my my thought. Yeah. All right. Nice Thank talking. You so much, sure. Uh-huh. Have a great day. Bye bye. Thanks. All right. We've reached the end of today's show. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Raman here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.